0: Good morning. good morning. All right, good to see you all. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Um, I was not planning on preaching this morning. Um, I have a wedding this weekend in Orlando, and so the rehearsal was yesterday. The rehearsal dinner was last night. I had a hotel. In fact, my wife and children are in a hotel in Orlando right now. Um, we're just going to spend the night, wake up today, do the wedding today, and then come home tonight. That was the plan. And Doug Davison was going to be the preacher this morning, and Doug uh, contacted me yesterday and said that he is sick. And, and I called him and verified. It's for real. Um, LAUGHTER so I talked to him on the phone. Um, he sounds like a bullfrog. It, it's it's legit. So, um, so this sermon was thrown together last minute. I didn't know until yesterday that I would be the preacher this morning. And so, and I was in Orlando at the time. So I wrote this sermon. Um, well, to be totally honest, I wrote. I began writing it in the bathroom of the hotel room, um, and then I once I. <laughs> started working it out. I went down to the lobby and sat at one of the tables there and I wrote it out there. So um, this sermon was thrown together at the last minute and as I was preparing it, I, I had some thoughts about it. I thought to myself, well, this could either go bad or good. And then I thought if it goes bad, well, that'll be bad. You know, like that's not good. Like like, like, if, what if you're here and this is your very first time at our church and you're judging me and you know, you're know you sitting there thinking like, well, this guy isn't good. He doesn't even know how to preach the Bible. Um, and so I thought that would be bad. And then, And then I thought, Or this could go really good. And then if it goes really good, there are going to be people that come up to me afterwards and go like, why do you even prepare anything? Right? Like you've been wasting your time for the past 10 years studying the Bible all week long. Like you should have been like winging it the whole time. You know, think of all the time you've wasted. So hopefully this goes medium. All right. (laughs) That's my goal. Um, So we are continuing our series called The Life of Paul. We are now in uh, part six, and we are going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. So not last week. Last week, uh, Kenan preached. Kenan preached out of the book of Isaiah because it was um, Share the Love Sunday. So if you can remember, not last week, but remember two Sundays ago, do you remember where we la- left off in the life of Saul? Do you remember that um, Saul was ministering in a town called Antioch, and we talked about how it was the most like it was the first culturally culturally diverse church. It was the first ethnically diverse church. Do you remember that? And all these different people from all these different backgrounds came together and they all were worshiping Jesus together, but there was probably a lot of cultural baggage of all the things they believed before they came to know Jesus and were suddenly all together. Do you remember that one? Okay, so that's where we're picking up, right where that one left off. In fact, I'll read you just a few verses from Acts chapter 11, and hopefully you'll remember these um, because this was kind of how the story ended two weeks ago when we were last here. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 27, it says, in those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. So this prophet shows up and gives a prophecy, right? A revelation from God, a message. This is what God says. There will be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So in reaction to this prophecy... Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. Somehow they must have known that the famine was going to be particularly bad for the people over in Jerusalem. So they collected this money together and they sent it. Verse 30, they did this, sending it, the money, to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. And so Barnabas and Saul went to Jerusalem with this money. Do you remember this part of the story? Right. Remember how we said the church at Antioch was so generous that they gave money to these people that they considered to be their brothers, even though they were mostly strangers to them? But they said, hey, if God is your father and God is our father and we all love Jesus, then we're going to take care of these people because I got your back and you got mine. And so they sent this money to these people that they hardly knew. And Barnabas and Saul were the people that delivered the money down to Jerusalem. So that's where we left off. So everybody remembers that? So that's it. Now, that's how the story... This this is what Luke says. Barnabas and Saul, like the implication is Barnabas and Saul traveled to Jerusalem with this money to give it to the people down there, okay? And that's all Luke tells us. And then he just moves on to the next part of the story. So, I mean, it took a while to get down to Jerusalem, right? This is a multi-day journey, no explanation about that. Then they get there. And what happened? like what happened when they were in Jerusalem. Luke does not give us any details as to what happened on this trip. However, I think that Saul did. If I understand the story correctly, I think Saul gives us the details about this trip in his book that we call Galatians. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Galatians chapter two now, and I'm gonna read to you the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter two. That's going to be our text this morning. That's gonna be the main thing that we study this morning. And I think this is Saul telling us What happened when he and Barnabas went to Jerusalem on that particular occasion? So here it is, Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So this is 14 years after... the name of the series is Life of Paul, but if if you're new around here, I'm going to call him Saul a lot, and that's because we're still at the point in his life where he's going by Saul, right? He went by Saul for the first half of his life and then went by Paul, looks like the second half of his life. So um, Saul is talking here, and he says 14 years into him being a Christian, right? He, He becomes a follower of Jesus, and 14 years into it, He goes up again to Jerusalem. The reason the word again is is in there, if you remember, is he'd already visited Jerusalem one time before for two weeks. Remember that? He spent two weeks hanging out with Peter. So he became a Christian. There was about a three-year period. Then he went and hung out with Peter for about two weeks. Then there were a bunch more years. And now we get to the 14-year mark, and he is now going to Jerusalem for, it looks like, the second time. And who does he go to Jerusalem with? Barnabas, the same guy that, Luke, um, that Acts chapter 11 says that he went to Jerusalem with, right? It was Saul and Barnabas that went to deliver this money. So it looks like it's the same occasion to me. There are some people who believe that um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 and following is actually describing another trip to Jerusalem that Saul and Barnabas took later on. Later on in Acts chapter 15, there's another time where Saul and Barnabas traveled to Jerusalem. And some people think this is what he is describing, that's what he's describing um, right here. And maybe that is true. I could be wrong. But I'm going to go ahead and put this in this point of the timeline where we are in the story because that's what I think happened. I think that this is what I'm about to read to you from Galatians chapter 2 fits with um, Acts chapter 11 the best. And so I'll explain, I've got a bunch of reasons for it. I don't have time to tell you all of them, but I will explain some of them as we go through. Um, So Galatians chapter 2, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, so at least a second trip, and I went with Barnabas. And the second trip to Jerusalem mentioned in the book of Acts is this one where they deliver um, this money because of the famine. And in this case, he says, taking Titus along also. Now, if this is corresponding with Acts chapter 11, um, that would be a different detail from what Luke told. Luke doesn't mention that Titus was there, right? But Saul is telling the story from the first portion point of view, and he's saying that Titus was there. Now, that's not a contradiction. The fact that somebody would tell a story and mention these are the characters that went on the trip, and then somebody else would tell a story and say these are the people that went on the trip, like that doesn't necessarily mean there's a contradiction. It's just sometimes the Bible tells a story and doesn't tell you all of the details. Every single person was, that was there or every single thing that happened. Right? Did you know that? There are multiple places in the Bible where it doesn't tell you every detail. In fact, that's not unique to the Bible. You all do that with all the stories you tell also, right? Anytime you tell a story, you don't literally tell everything that happened, and this is where I was standing, and this is the color shirt she was wearing, and this is the exact wording, and this is... Like, you can't say... You have to emphasize the parts that are important to you, and every one of us tells stories where we leave certain things out. In fact, have you ever been, like, listening to someone as they tell you a story, and they will, like, include something that makes you have to go back and rethink the story a different way because they threw it in there. Like, have you ever had someone that tells you like, hey, I was at a party and this happened and then I said this and then they said this and then after that, this happened and this happened and then they'll say, and then Kathy said. And then you're going, what, Kathy was there? Yeah, you didn't even mention her the whole time. Oh, well, she was there. Kathy was there the whole time this whole story happened? Yes, And so then you're going, well, now i got to go back and imagine this whole story that you told me, and and i got to put Kathy in there. i got to imagine her standing there the whole time as you told this whole story. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so what's going on here is Luke says Saul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem, right? And here we have a case where we go, "Eh," and it looks like Titus was along with them. And the fact that Titus is along with them is going to matter greatly for what happens next in the story. So verse 2, I went up, talking about going to Jerusalem, I went up according to... A revelation. So he's saying the reason that he went to Jerusalem on this case, in this particular occasion, when he went with Titus and Barnabas, the reason that he went to Jerusalem was according to a revelation. There had been a message from God, like God had revealed something supernaturally that caused him to go, we've got to go to Jerusalem, right? There was a revelation that made them go, we've got to go travel there. Now, does that math match Acts chapter 11? Hmm. So some of you remembered it. Some of you go, I don't know. That was five minutes ago, Mario. I could not possibly remember Acts 11. There was a prophet named Agabus, and he said there was a severe famine that will be throughout the whole Roman world, right? There was a specific revelation. There was a specific prophecy where God spoke through a prophet to these people and said there's going to be problems in Jerusalem. They're not going to have enough food. And the people in Antioch reacted to that revelation, and they said, you've got to go down. You've got to take all this money. You've got to go down there. And so that, these these. These stories match, right? I went up to Jerusalem according to a revelation. Yeah, there's a story just like that in Acts chapter 11. These stories match. So he travels there. What did he do next? What did he do when he was there in Jerusalem? Well, it's hard to imagine. Like Luke just says they went there and they delivered the money, but you know more than that happened, right? Like There's no way you travel for days and days and days, and you get to Jerusalem with the money, and you find the elders, and you go... Here. And then you just immediately go back home to Antioch. Like, they spent there and they had conversations and they had some time and, like, some stuff happened. What happened? Well, Luke doesn't mention, but Saul does. He says, I went up to a revelation, and then this is what he says. On this trip, he says, and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. Okay? But privately, to those who, to those recognized as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run the race in vain so not only do they deliver money it looks to me that on this in this occasion that he's describing Galatians chapter 2 he presented the gospel to these people and the them right those those who are recognized as leader he didn't present the gospel to them to evangelize them he presented the gospel to them so that they would confirm that he's saying the same thing they're saying like the them here right Presented the gospel to them, the leaders. I think he's talking about the apostles that were living in Jerusalem. In fact, it's really obvious as we keep reading that he's talking about people like Peter and James and John. Peter and James and John were in Jerusalem, and he shows up and and he preaches the gospel to them, meaning he 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 shared the gospel with them and then said, like, okay, does this match? Because this is what I've been saying. Like for 14 years, I've been going around telling the Gentiles about Jesus. I've been saying that he died on the cross. I've been saying that he rose again. I've been saying you can believe in him and he'll forgive you of your sins. I've been saying he's going to come back a second time. Like I've been explaining the gospel for years now and I'm I'm telling you this is what I've been telling people. Does it match? Am I right? Like you all are the people who hung out with Jesus, right? Peter and James and John, these are the people who if there's anybody in the whole world that knows what the gospel is, what the message of Jesus Christ is, it would be these people. So he goes to them and he goes, did I get it right? Because this is what I've been saying. This is the gospel. And so he presents it to them. It's interesting. He says, so that I might not be running or have run the race in vain, right? Saying like, I've spent a lot of time telling a bunch of Gentiles about this. I've been spending a lot of time going around to all these places and telling them about Jesus. And so I'm just checking with you. Like, was I wasting my time? Have I been saying the right thing to all these people? Can you confirm that I've been, I've been preaching the same gospel you have been? That you, that the same message of Christ that you have? And then look at this. After he says, I presented the gospel to them. Look at this, verse 3. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Circumcised? This seems like an abrupt change of topic. What in the world, how in the world can you be talking about um, the gospel and this is the gospel and what do you guys think? Do you guys agree that this is the message of Jesus? And then in the same breath say, oh, and and Titus didn't want to get circumcised, right? Well, he was an adult man. I don't blame him. But what does that have to do? What does the second part of this have anything to do with the first part of this, right? I I presented the gospel to them and Titus didn't want to be circumcised, right? What does that even mean? This seems completely unrelated, doesn't it? Is that, is that like a, a metaphor for something else? Nope, it's not a metaphor. He's talking about an actual circumcision, like cutting off skin from Titus's male body part. He's saying he didn't want to do that. To which we might say, what does that have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what the sentence was about, right? I presented the gospel to them. What in the world does This Gentile, this Greek guy named Titus being circumcised, now what in the world does that have to do with the gospel? And if you are someone that believes that, if you're someone that reads this and goes, yeah, what does that have to do with anything? (laughs) The reason why you think that is because early in Christianity, there was a huge argument about it, and the non-circumcision people won. And that's why 2,000 years later you go, what does that have to do with anything? Because there was an argument 2,000 years ago where they said that doesn't have anything to do with it. But there was a point before that argument where they didn't know. There was a point where they thought that that, there was a connection there. It has to do with the Mosaic law, the law of Moses in the Old Testament. There were people at this time, and I think this is important for you to get, Like there were people at this time that were saying the reason that circumcision is required in order for you to be a Christian is because it's part of the Mosaic law. It's part of the Old Testament. That's what they, all and you got to remember, all the people that first became Christians, all the earliest Christians were Jewish people. We've talked about this like multiple times already in the series. All the earliest Christians were Jewish people. So they were following the Mosaic law, at least best as they could, right? They were following Sabbath and they were eating certain foods and they were abstaining from certain foods and they were celebrating certain festivals and they, if they were men, they were circumcised. They were following the laws that are in the Old Testament. And in some cases, like, I don't know, I think some of these things aren't even that impressive. For them to be like, ooh, we're circumcised. That's not even like a decision they made for themselves as adults. Like, that's something their parents chose for them when they were like eight days old. Okay? So to even be like, oh, look, we're circumcised. Like you, didn't, you don't even remember it. Okay? But, that, but it was a big deal, because back then, I know nowadays, like most, I think most males, at least in this country, are circumcised when they're little babies, maybe before they even leave the hospital. Um, but I think that's for like health and sanitary reasons. But back then, that was not the case. Back then, Jewish people were circumcised. All the other nations were not. And so they were saying, well, we are following what the Old Testament says. We are following the guidelines. We are following the law. And so we eat these things and we do these things and we all had this little surgery when we were babies even though none of you all did and we follow these certain festivals and we're following these laws and they said if you want to follow Jesus you got to do all that. There were people back then that believed that you had to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. That was the assumption. Well, that's what all of us are doing and then Jesus came and Jesus is the savior of Israel and if you want him to be your savior, you've got to become part of Israel. That's just that's the deal. That's who he came for. You, got, you, gotta, you gotta do this. You can't just go straight from Gentile to Christian. You gotta become one of us first. You gotta convert to Judaism. You've got to become Jewish first. Then you can be a follower of Jesus. So there were people that were saying that. So what is, and you might go, that's crazy. Yeah, what is obvious to us now was not as obvious to them back then. So This kind of argument happens, and in this particular case, um, Saul does not believe that. He's saying you do not have to get a surgery. In fact, the Mosaic law is not something that's binding on Gentiles. That's not part of the gospel. You don't have to follow these laws in order to be a follower of Jesus. And so he calls the people who were believing the other side of this, he calls them false brothers. So apparently there were some people who believed this, and, and Saul didn't even think that they were Christians. They didn't even understand the actual gospel. So let me keep reading. So, so Titus was with me. He was not... He, though he was Greek, he was compelled... He was not... <clears throat> goodness, let me just read the verse. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Next verse. This issue, okay? This issue arose. What issue arose? The issue of does... Like, Titus is a Gentile, and now he loves Jesus. So does he need a snip-snip or not? Okay? That issue, like that conversation... They're not crazy. They even cared. Okay? But again, they they... <laughs> The reason you don't care about it is because they, they hashed it all out back then. Okay, so should he or should he not? Can he just go from being a Gentile to someone who serves Jesus? Well, I don't know. We didn't do that. Yeah, but we... So they're, they're discussing that. So he says, this issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. Next verse. But we did not give up and submit to, to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Saul believed that these people who were requiring the Mosaic law onto Gentile converts, he was saying they don't even understand the gospel. They're not even actual believers in Jesus Christ. And he says about them, he said, we did not give up and submit to these people for even an hour. Have you ever had a conversation... Uh, maybe uh, of a political nature or of a religious nature, but you're in the room and people are talking about something and, and whatever they believe about the topic, it's different than what you believe, okay? And maybe there's multiple people in the room that believe something different than you believe. And you just kind of sit there and go, mm, I'm not going to say anything, okay? Like, I, just, I don't want this to turn into a fight. Like, we can just agree to disagree, right? In fact, we don't even have to, they don't even have to know that we disagree. Like, I can just sit there and go, mm, 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 you know, and, they're, and sure, they're going to think I agree with them, but I don't care. Like, I just, I don't want to fight about it, okay? Anybody been in that situation? Can I see? Yeah, all right. That's, that, and that, I think that's the appropriate thing to do sometimes. But apparently, Saul did not believe that that was the appropriate thing to do on this occasion, right? He did not just sit there and go, oh, that's weird. They think you got to have a circumcision in order to, for, to follow Jesus, right? They're trying to pressure Titus. Mm, I'll just sit here and say nothing. No, he said, I cannot sit here and say nothing. This is one of those times where we cannot agree to disagree. I'm not going to leave it alone. He thought that this particular issue was worth arguing about. He thought that this particular issue was worth fighting for. What do you have to do to be saved? That was worth fighting about. And he believed Gentiles do not need to get a minor surgery in order to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it is a good thing that he believed that that was worth fighting for because it has greatly affected what we believe about the gospel to this day. So, verse 6, this is the next verse. Now, from those recognized as important, I think again he's talking about the leaders like Peter, James, and John, what they really were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. So he's there in Jerusalem. He's talking to the leaders. He's presented his gospel to them. There were some people who aren't even Christians who are like, don't you realize you need to obey the entire Mosaic law? And he's like, no, no, I don't even buy into that. You know? And they're going, I think Titus should. And he's like, I think Titus shouldn't. And then finally, as he explains his whole thing, no, this is what the actual gospel is. The leaders, this is what he said. He said, they added nothing to me. What does that mean? I think he's saying, as I explained what I've been teaching to the Gentiles, they didn't add anything. They didn't say, oh, this is the part. Like, Like, I think he explained, this is what I've been teaching about Jesus being the Lord and Savior. This is what I've been telling everybody. All right? So you all lived with him for years, You all know what the message of Jesus Christ is. So here's my message. What did I leave out? And the apostles said to him, you left out nothing, right? They added nothing to me. They said, you didn't leave out anything. What you just described, that's the same gospel that we preach. And then he goes on, verse 7. On the contrary, meaning like, not only did they not say that I was missing something, okay, but... On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, all of the nations that hadn't heard about Jesus yet, just as Peter was for the circumcised, that Peter was the one that was supposed to tell, talk about Jesus to all of the people who were Jewish so that they would come to believe in the Messiah. Since, this is verse 8, the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. The same God that empowered Peter to go around to fellow Jewish people and say, we've got to believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah. He died on the cross for our sins. We can be forgiven and only through him. He's coming back to make all things new. Like The same God that empowered Peter to go and tell the gospel to the Jewish people was the same God who was empowering Saul, Paul, to do that among the Gentiles, all the other nations of people. And so we see Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. We see Peter as the apostle to the Jews. They're both missionaries to these two groups of people. And verse 9 says, When James, Cephas, and John, they were recognized as pillars. By the word Cephas, we've talked this before. Cephas is another word for Peter. So James, Peter, and John, recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, right? They gave us the right hand of fellowship. When we explained the gospel and said, this is what we're doing, they shook our hand and said, you are one of us. You are our brothers. We are your brothers. You, 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 you are apostles like we are. You are missionaries like we are. You're one of us. And we're going to tell all these people here in Jerusalem, these Jewish people about Jesus. And you go tell everybody else. We believe God's called you to do that. You're one of us. And then the paragraph ends with this sentence. And then it says, they asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. And this last sentence also seems like a real abrupt shift in topic. Like it just seems like a random thing to bring up. They've been talking about the gospel, right? And they accepted my gospel. And I'm the, the apostle, the missionary to the Gentiles. And they're the missionary to the circumcised, the Jews. And then out of nowhere, and, and, and they said to remember the poor. And that seem weird that that kind of got thrown in there. And if you don't connect this to the passage I told you about, right? If this is not um, an explanation of what happened in Acts 11, it kind of does seem sort of random. But if you remember what the purpose of this trip, Saul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem for what? Do you remember? Yes, to help the poor. That was the whole point. There was a famine and they needed—they were, they were hungry. And so they showed up for that. And so I think he, he had his gospel confirmed there. Hey, this is you all hung out with Jesus. This is, what, is this what he said? And they said, yeah, that's what he said. That's the message. And then apparently they also said, and thank you for the money that you brought. Like, keep doing that. Like, I don't know how long the famine's gonna last. I don't know how bad things are gonna be. I don't know how bad they're gonna be in other areas. But keep doing what you're doing. Keep telling Gentiles this gospel that you've been preaching, and keep caring about poor people like you have been in the midst of this famine. So, that's the passage. That's the next section in the life of Saul. So, what's the point? Like, what's the point of this passage? What's the point of the sermon this morning? And this is what I think it is. The gospel is a particular message about Jesus. It's not just any old good news. I mean, the word gospel means good news. We named our church after it. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just any and all things that you could call good news. It is a specific good news about Jesus that He died on the cross for our sins, in our place, that He rose again, that He conquered death, and that by believing in Him, we are saved from the judgment that we deserve because of our sins. And apparently, things can get added to that or taken away from that to the point that it's no longer the gospel. You can have this gospel message, this is what Jesus did, this is what we believe, but people can come along later and add things to that like, and you also need to be circumcised, and you have to obey every law of Moses, and you have to make sure that you follow the Sabbath, and you have to make sure that you do all these, you know, whatever, these are the things you got to do and celebrate these festivals. There are things that can be added or things that can be taken away to the point that the message that we were calling the gospel isn't even the gospel anymore, and and. Saul pretty much said that earlier in the book of Galatians. If you look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says to them, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which you might think, oh, is there more than one gospel? But then he says, not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who are troubling you and want to change the gospel about the Messiah, Apparently, the gospel can be altered to the point that it's not the gospel anymore. And so this, this story that we're learning, this is the story of the time that Saul had his gospel confirmed by the apostles who followed Jesus before him. This is the place where we see that there was one consistent message of Jesus, The different apostles, these different people that were preaching Jesus, there was one message that was going out to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Like they met and compared notes and they were all on the same page. And this is one of the reasons why we accept the New Testament as the Word of God and as the message of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is the message that Jesus has for us. This is why we accept the book of Romans in the Bible just like we accept the book of John. Um, We talked about this idea last fall, and I'll just bring it up very briefly again. Last fall, we did a series called How to Read the Bible. And in that series, we did a sermon that was titled The Red Letters Lead to Black Letters. I don't know if you remember it, but let me kind of just describe what the main idea was there. We said that in the Bible, we have the words of Jesus Christ, right? That, That he is God the Son, God who has come here and revealed himself to us, okay? And his words... Are God's words and his words were written down and collected in documents and in modern-day Bibles when they print these there are a lot of times where they print the words of Jesus in red right Jesus' words are in red ink all the other words are in black ink and so we can look at books like Matthew Mark and Luke and John and look at the red letters and say okay these are the words of God God showed up and this is what he said to us but we said that's not where it ends We don't just believe Jesus came and said the red letters, and that's it. The red letters lead to black letters. That is, in the things that Jesus said, we see that he chose people to be his apostles, to be his missionaries, to be his ambassadors, to be his messengers, that they spoke on his behalf, or in some cases, they wrote things down on his behalf and said, this is the message of Jesus that Jesus understood that when he left, when he was done on this earth, there would be other people, black-letter people, who would go and spread the message of Jesus Christ and write down the message of Jesus Christ and spread it all over the world. And so the red letters that we have from God lead to black letters that we have from God. And so here at Good News Church, we are not red-letter Christians, meaning we are not people who say, Oh, the book of John. Oh, okay, now that one. That one's good because there's like a lot of red letters in John. Like Jesus talked a lot in John and there's a lot of red letters and that one's good. Like that one we go by. But Romans, pfft, Romans was written by some guy named Paul later, some guy that like hardly met Jesus. We don't take that seriously. Now the book of Mark, now <laughs> but Mark is good. Mark is full of good stuff. There's a lot of red stuff in Mark. That's really good. Ephesians, mm, no. No, not Ephesians. Ephesians is the some guy wrote that later on and talked about wives submitting to their husbands like that. We know that's dumb. Jesus wouldn't have said that. And I don't know what he would have said, but I know for sure he wouldn't have disagreed with me on that, right? And so we just, we just throw those out and we go, no. So I just want you to know that's not, that's not what we, how we do it here at Good News Church. And the reason why is because God has given us a New Testament. Black letters and red letters, Jesus and his emissaries, his messengers... And that's the message of Jesus Christ. And if you go, why does that matter? Does, does anybody really believe that? Yes, people really believe that. I can remember, I think I was in my 20s and I was at a Barnes and Noble or one of its competitors, I can't remember. I was in a bookstore in my 20s and I, and I grabbed this book off the shelf. I did not buy it, but you know how sometimes you just read it for free and pretend you're in a library when you're at a bookstore. And so, um, so I picked a book off the shelf and I was reading this book and the woman that wrote the book, basically, if I can remember right, he, she said, there was this man named Jesus who came from heaven, and he was wonderful. And he created this wonderful religion of like peace and harmony and love and tolerance and all this, okay? It was just wonderful. And then along came this guy named Paul. Dun, 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 dun. And Paul came... I mean, that song wasn't in the book, but like that was the tone of it. Along came this guy named Paul, and he perverted this religion that Jesus had started. Jesus started this wonderful religion about love and peace and daisies, and then Paul came along. And Paul added all this other stuff that we don't like, right? And so we need to get back to like real Christianity, the Christianity of Jesus, right? Not the messed up Christianity when Paul came along. There are people that believe that. And so what I'm trying to say is when you look at this passage in Galatians, you see the guy who wrote the book of John (laughs) held to the same gospel as the guy who wrote the book of Romans, The guy who hung out with Jesus and was closer to him than anybody else in the world was one of the people there and said, yeah, you're saying the same thing I've been saying. The guy who wrote John held to the same gospel as the guy who wrote Romans, and this is the place in the Bible where it tells us this. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but this place in the Bible that tells us this is one of the writings of Paul. And that's the issue here, right? That's the thing I'm quibbling about, right? Like, the fact that you're saying, well, Paul's words match Peter, James, and John. Well, how do you know that? Well, because Paul said so, right? Saul said so in the book of Galatians. Can you imagine someone might go, well, what if he just said that? What if he just came up with this stuff and said, and as people questioned him, right, is this the true gospel, that he just, what if he just made it up and said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I checked with John and Peter and James. They agree. They were like, yep, 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 same thing. That's the same thing we say, right? I checked. They're good with it. Right? How, we can, can we just take Saul's word for it? And so this is what I was thinking about as I thought about that This actually yesterday in the hotel. <laughs> um, I can't remember if this was a bathroom or a lobby thought, but <laughs> I sat there and I thought about it. And, and this, is, this is the things I wanted to say to you. First of all, the book of Second Peter specifically commends the writings of Paul as scripture. Okay. So if you believe Peter wrote 2 Peter, you've got Peter telling people the writings of Paul are scripture. They are the teachings of Jesus. They are the word of God. You also have Luke, who obviously was presenting Paul and his teachings and his gospel as true. I mean, that's, that's you read through the book of Acts, and it's obvious that Luke is saying all the words that Paul is saying. He's really speaking on behalf of Jesus. It's true. And the third thing that I wrote down is: this story just doesn't sound made up to me. If you're a guy back then who's going to make up a false story to get people to believe, okay? Like, like well, my gospel's the same as them, so you're going to make up this story. Well, here's how I'm going to get you to believe it, okay? I'm going to make up this story. Wouldn't you make up a good one? Like, wouldn't you either say, Jesus gave me all of these words and I didn't ever even check with the other apostles because I know for sure what I'm saying is correct. Or wouldn't you say... Um, I became a Christian and I was so concerned that I want to make sure I didn't say anything that was wrong, anything that didn't match with what the people who actually hung out with Jesus said. So as soon as I became a Christian, I just hightailed it to Jerusalem and I talked with Peter and James and John and I made sure with precision that everything I was saying matched everything they were saying. Before I went around and told anybody anything, I made sure I got it right. If you're going to make up a fake story, wouldn't you have made it up that way? Or would you have said this? Look at it. Look at Galatians 2, starting in verse 1. Then, after 14 years, 14 years of what? 14 years of going around telling all these Gentiles the gospel, right? I went around telling all these people. And then, after 14 years, it dawned on me, huh, I should probably go check the originals, right? I should probably check and see if the people who've, who've believed this from the beginning, who were with Jesus, I should check and see, right, that I'm not running or have run the race in vain. Wouldn't you say, oh, of course, I was very careful. I made sure that the gospel was true. I checked on it before I went and told anybody. No, he went and told people about it for over a decade. And then one day went, oh, I should check. And then he went to Jerusalem and he checked. Now, why would you tell the story that way? I can only think of one reason. Because that's what actually happened. The brother just went around and told everybody and then went, oh, I should check. And he did. And it matched. So, that's our passage for this morning. This is the occasion where we see the apostles' messages matched. This is the occasion where we see that salvation is not dependent on circumcision or converting to Judaism or following all the laws of Moses. And this is an occasion where we see that that truth was important enough for somebody to fight for it. And 2,000 years later, we have been blessed because of that fight. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to explain these people who've gone before us. I thank you so much for sending these people before us, Saul and Barnabas and Agabus and Peter and James and John and Titus all of these things that happened before we came along. And shouldn't Titus be circumcised? And I don't think so. And all of these things that actually have a lot to do with our life now and what we currently believe and how we currently talk about you. And so I thank you for all of it. I thank you for your providence and you governing over everything. I thank you for your revelation and how you've like shown yourself to us through your word. And I pray you'd help us to apply this to our life in whatever way that looks like. I mean, maybe for some of us, it's, it's i got to stop thinking that I earned my way into the kingdom of God. And maybe for some of us, it's I've got to stop taking passages of the Bible I don't like and pretending they don't matter. I don't even know how this would apply to every life here. But I pray by the power of your spirit, you would apply it to our lives. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for not leaving it up to us to save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.